The Get Rich Slow Club podcast is a collaboration between Tash Etchman from Tash Invest and Anna Christina from Perla. The Get Rich Slow Club acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land we record on. From coast to coast, across land, waters and communities, we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Any advice is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives. So consider whether it's appropriate for you. Welcome to the Get Rich Slow Club podcast, where we take you from beginner to confident investor, where we can teach you everything you need to know about investing. So come get rich slow with us. Hey, Tash, how are you today? I'm very good. How are you today? Yeah, good. You know, just hanging out, talking about saving and investing. Yes, all the exciting things. I'm very excited for today, though, because we're going to be talking about one of my most frequently asked questions, which is, should I save or should I invest? Now, the answer to this depends on your financial goals, time horizon, and risk tolerance. In this episode, when we talk about investing, we're specifically referring to investing in shares or ETFs. As you've heard in our earlier episodes, investing doesn't always refer to shares. You can invest in bonds, property, crypto, but today we're just referring to shares and the stock market. But before we do any of that, we need to talk about goals first. So goals are really important because without knowing what you want to do, it will be hard to work out how to get there. So you've probably heard about SMART goals. We definitely use them in tech. And I know in product, we often think about SMART goals as a way to kind of see if we've hit the goal of what we're trying to do. Yeah, we definitely use them in my job as well. I work in the disability sector and we set SMART goals for absolutely everything. And for anyone who's also studied occupational therapy, I feel like our whole degree was just based around SMART goals. So I think we've we've surely all heard of them by now. Yeah, they're universal, right? Like you can use them on a personal level. You can use them at a company and a job. They're great. But if you haven't heard of SMART goals, let's break them down. So SMART stands for specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and having a time frame. So let's break those down a little bit more. Um, The first one being specific. I often hear a lot of people just saying that they want to save in general or they just want to start investing, which is a great, great mindset to have and a great goal. But it's really hard to save for something that is not specific and you're not working towards. So, for example, you can save for a house or your holiday or for early retirement. But having that why is really, really, really important. Exactly. The why is something we've talked about in the past, but very important to your goals. The second one is measurable. Um, Luckily in finance and investing, it's really easy to measure your numbers, um, but you want to make sure you're actually making progress and being able to measure that is really important. The third one is achievable. It's really fun to say these nice round numbers, like we want to save a million dollars. We want to have a million dollars invested, but making sure it's actually achievable is really important to make sure you're not getting really demotivated. Like it's hard if you're setting these massive goals that you actually just can't achieve. Uh, Number four is realistic. Yeah, this goes into achievable as well. Is this a realistic goal for you? Do you actually have that amount of money? Where are you going to get that money from? Is that a good plan for you? Is that not? And the last one is time frame. Yeah, it's hard to make a savings plan or an investing plan if you don't have a time frame or a specific time frame in mind. And also, if you just say you want to save $10,000 and there's no end date to it and no plan, I feel like we could just spend years and years and years trying to save for that goal. So having that set time frame is good. And then it goes back to being able to make sure it's measurable as well. So they all link in together. Yeah, the thing I love about SMART goals is it really keeps you accountable, right? You have to actually think about that goal. How do you break it down? Will it work and will it not? And you can always adjust it. Like that's the other thing. You're not tied to this. If it's not working for you, you can adjust it and create a new smart goal. So let's do an example. So let's say you want to buy a house. 
that's very specific. You want a deposit of $50,000 and you want to be able to save this in five years. Um, you just kind of can break it down. You have to save about $10,000 a year or $192 a week. And when you break it down and look at it, you might be like, actually, that's really hard for me to save for that. Maybe I need to change my goal or time frame. or, hey, actually, that's really easy. I can actually up it and do it quicker. But the thing is, by creating smart goals, it'll let you see whether your goal is realistic and what you need to do to adjust it. Yeah. And when you say you want to save $50,000, it's a very overwhelming goal. Like $50,000 is a huge number. But when you break it down to $192 a week, it's a lot more manageable. And you can sit down and be like, where is the $192 in my budget? Is it there? Can I find it? Do I need to get another job? Do I need to make more money? Do I need to reduce the goal? But just $50,000, it's a lot harder to look at like that. An example of a short-term goal might be that you want to save $5,000 for your holiday to Europe next year. Or a longer-term goal could be wanting to retire in 15 years with a passive income of $40,000 a year, which is very exciting, but we'll talk about that a little bit later on. So Tash, I know we've talked about this. Like a lot of people don't know when you should save, when you should invest. Let's talk a little bit about this. Saving is generally a good idea um, if you have short-term financial goals, such as like if you want to build an emergency fund or you have something that you want to purchase in the near future. Saving accounts are usually low-risk options for saving money. Saving accounts may offer a low interest rate and they provide stability and liquidity. And the reason that this is really important is that it's quite easy to pull out money in it from a saving account. So for those shorter term goals, weddings, holidays, and maybe even a, a house deposit, being able to have liquidity is important. And what liquidity means is literally that you have access to that cash easily. So for example, if you have a house and you need to sell a house, that's not an easy way to access cash. So just as an example, that's what people mean by liquidity. Same with shares as well. Like if you want to sell your shares, you don't know what value they'll really be at, but your savings account, you can kind of track that and you know what's going to be in there and you know that it's safe and it's insured by the government as well in Australia up to $250,000, which is great as well. So the liquidity is really important. But I think before we go into long-term goals and investing as well, like it's important to define what is a short and a long-term goal. Because I know in health and fitness, we can set like short one to three week goals. But when we talk about investing and money, short-term, I think it's less than a year. Is that what we're going to go with, Anna? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then long-term is over five years. But like personally, I think of long-term as like 10 years plus, like really, really, really long-term. And the reason for that as well is because there's a lot of volatility that can happen, especially if you're investing. So having a longer time frame kind of evens out that volatility over time. Yeah. I know it can be quite hard to look really long-term, but like I'm still, I still think I'm quite young. Um, so 10 years really in the grand scheme of things is is fine. Like I'd love to be planning for 10 years time from now, but I know a lot of people are like, no, I just want to save for a year and that's it and be done. But unfortunately money is a forever thing. Now let's talk about investing though. Investing on the other hand is a good idea if you have long-term financial goals or you want to grow your wealth over time. The stock market, managed funds or ETFs, also exchange traded funds are all examples of investment options. These investments offer the potential for higher returns and savings accounts, but they also carry more risk. Now I know this can all sound very confusing or it might be hard to actually apply it to yourself because I know we always say like invest for the long term, but what do you actually do when you have different goals and different timeframes? So we're going to apply it to a short term, a medium term and a long term goal. Yes, this is really important. So short-term financial goals are usually less than a year. So some short-term goals can be, you know, saving for a holiday or preparing for parental leave because that's a really big one. Mm, one of mine was definitely saving for my uni placement last year. I had eight weeks of unpaid, like full-time work pretty much. So for the few months beforehand, I was putting money away and saving for that so I could still have my weekly coffees out. Short-term financial goals are usually less than a year. 
Tash, do you have any short-term goals? A good one I had last year was I had to do an eight-week unpaid full-time placement. Um, I think it was like 320 hours of working for free. So one of my shorter-term goals last year was saving to prepare for placement and having a financial buffer in place because I still had my mortgage to pay for. I still had all my bills. I was still trying to live life as well. So that was my short-term goal last year. What were some of yours? Well, a while ago was parental leave, right? Like often, uh, you know, sometimes people don't plan as well financially, but you know, you have nine months if you're pregnant and waiting. And that's a, usually a short time frame to be like, okay, we really need to kind of consider what's, what's, uh, what's happening when bub comes. Another one is like saving for holidays and, um, even an emergency fund, you know, you usually oh, yes, want to like create a buffer, make a, an emergency fund, and you don't want to do that over a long term. You want to do that as quickly as possible. Yeah. Definitely emergency fund first. Before any of this, emergency fund should definitely be a priority. Yes. As that saying goes, like put on your oxygen mask on yourself, <laughs> make sure you're yes, safe yeah. before you attempt any other items <laughs> in terms of investing and saving. <laughs> yeah. So do we save or invest for our short-term goals? Usually it's recommended to put your shorter-term savings into something like a savings account where you can earn a little bit of interest, but also be sure that your money is safe. And I think all those examples we gave would be in a savings account. Like none of those short-term goals make sense at all to invest for. Yeah. Especially because I know we've mentioned the stock market is volatile and we'll talk about it later, but imagine putting in like my savings for uni placement and then the stock market crashes. And then I'm like, oh gosh, like I prepared for all of this. My money's not worth the same. I can't take it out. It takes like what, two or three days to even get it back as well. Like not ideal, but a savings account, I know it's there. It's guaranteed. I can take it out whenever I want. Exactly. So moving on to medium-term goals, this can be a little bit more tricky to decide whether to save or invest, but let's say you're saving for your house deposit and you want to buy in three to five years. This might be an example of a medium-term goal. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you invest in shares or just put it in a savings account depends on your risk tolerance and how flexible your plan is. Unfortunately, there's no like you should just save or just invest answer here. Investing is more risky, but has the potential for higher returns, whereas cash is safer, but doesn't have the same potential for higher returns. Market crashes or corrections are a normal part of investing and should be expected and planned for. If you're able to be flexible with your purchasing timeline and are happy to wait another two to three years for the market to recover, if it does crash, then investing may be an option for you. The last thing you want to do is sell while the market is down. Ooh, the interesting thing about like midterm goals I find for myself personally is that I often think of my own goals as short or long term. You know what I mean? I feel like medium terms, you can get too swayed by what the market is doing and you're not thinking about the risk that is allocated towards, um, for example, shares, or at least that's how I sometimes think about it. Yeah, definitely. Because I think when I first started, I wanted these like very exact plans, but now I'm a bit more like flexible with my timelines and try to have like, ideally, like I want to buy a house in this time or whatever. It is, but I know I can be flexible with it and I have all my savings buffers and my emergency funds. So if it does crash, it's fine. I can put it on hold. Everything's still sorted anyway. Exactly. So some examples of medium term goals could be buying a car or a wedding or um, now, as I am realizing, just budgeting for a family holiday. It's not as cheap for just one person. I've got four humans in my family. So uh, yeah. What about you, Tash? Yeah, I think it's like the flexibility also depends on the kind of goal as well. Like a house, if you're happy renting and you're happy to put off buying a house for a few years, that's fine. But something like a car, like if you know that your current car 
might not be around in a few years time and you have a bit more of a strict time frame, then you might prefer to save for that instead. So it really depends on all these different variables as well. Um, I think my medium term goals are kind of the same, like maybe looking to buy another investment property, but also just kind of seeing what happens in terms of life and the markets at the moment as well. I don't want to get married anytime soon, but yeah, just kind of those like medium things as well, mostly travel and maybe a property. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm the same. I think I have more shorter term and longer term too. Another important thing to note is that if you are selling shares or property or anything of that sort, uh, you will be hit with a capital gains tax. So it's just something to consider for your own tax planning. Yes. So if, if you were saving your $50,000 deposit for your house and you put it in the stock market and your investment account balance is $50,000, when you sell that, you probably will have to pay some tax on it if you've made money. So just something to be aware of. Yeah. Tax planning is a big part that um, doesn't get enough airtime, but really it, it impacts us on so many different levels. <laughs> So the next one is long-term investing goals. A long-term goal could be focused on retiring or financial independence, which is the idea of living off of your passive income. So long-term goals obviously requires a longer horizon. And um, by having a longer horizon, you lower the risk because you can ride out the market corrections. And by not selling when the market is down or volatile, you can actually kind of ride it out to be less risky, I guess. Yeah. It's like all those stock charts where you like you zoom in and it's all up and down and it's pretty crazy. And then you zoom out and it's like just generally trending upwards. So the longer the time frame, the less likely you are to lose money. Don't quote me on that. I need to find an actual stat for it, but I'm sure there's a good stat for it. An example of a long-term goal that all of us are investing for, whether you know it or not, is superannuation. So a super is a retirement fund here in Australia. In the US, it's a 401k. In New Zealand, it's KiwiSaver. Or in my homeland of Canada, it's an RRSP. But the idea is the same. It's being invested in ETFs and such through an investment account. The thing I learned today was what it's called in Canada, an RRSP. I feel like 401k gets so much, so much airtime, but I haven't heard of the other ones. That's yeah, exciting. It's a registered retirement saving plan. It, it, oh, it's it works logical. Slightly, yeah, yeah. It works slightly different, but the idea is the same. <laughs> yeah. When you invest in index tracking ETFs, which a lot of long-term investors do, you are likely investing in a similar thing to your retirement account. So while no one can say that it's 100% safe, it's very unlikely that the whole stock market will crash. And if it does, we have bigger things to worry about. Ugh. Yes. <laughs> yes. I always get that question. Like, what if it all completely crashes? And I think like, if it all completely crashes, our economy is not doing great at all. And yeah, we'll have to start again. Not ideal. Anyway, let's not talk about doom and gloom. <laughs> the returns also compound over time. And it's important to look at the total return, including dividends as well, and not just the red and green daily share prices. Yes. We talked about dividends in one of our previous episodes, and that's really important to look at the total because the red and green is just there to get an emotional reaction from you. And if we remember and think about our SMART goals, it's about staying on track, staying accountable and not getting swayed by, you know, whether your, you know, investments are up or down or what's happening for the day. So don't get emotional, focus on long-term. That's why we've got SMART goals. Yeah. I think with mine as well, like my shares on Polar, especially were down because I started investing in those quite recently. But if I look on share site overall, it's all positive with my dividends. So it's just important to remember that. Because everyone sees it and they're like, oh my God, you've lost money, but you haven't lost if you haven't sold technically. Yes. Because sometimes dividends aren't tracked in, in what people see on charts. So it, it is really important. We've, we've mentioned ShareSite a, a bunch of times. Uh, definitely look them up to be able to see all of that. It's very cool. Tash, what are some of your long-term goals? 
All of my long-term goals are kind of based around freedom and flexibility and kind of supplementing my income or buying myself a pay rise. I used to think I wanted to retire early, but I actually quite like working now. So I think it's more like just having the flexibility and freedom in my work. Yeah, my, mine's quite similar. So everything that kind of falls under financial independence or financial freedom. Retire early, I think there's parts of that that have uh, changed. I think before I was also very much about retiring early and now it's just like work optional and working on the things that I really, really love. When I first started investing, there was lots of content around the FIRE movement, like the financial independence, retire early. And that was kind of really based around being really frugal and then trying to retire as early as possible. But the more I started working and the more I started like, I don't know, experiencing life, I realized I didn't want to live frugally forever. And I just wanted to kind of have that extra boost of income and that extra bit of freedom and flexibility. It creates opportunity, right? Yeah. Do we want to talk a little bit about FIRE for people who haven't heard about FIRE before? Yeah, definitely. A common FIRE goal, like I definitely had, like I liked the bigger picture. I want a million dollars kind of vibe without actually thinking too much into it. But a common goal, is if you have a $1 million share portfolio and you use the 4% safe withdrawal rate, which I hear is from a Trinity study. Yep. Have you read that, Anna? Yeah, I've read bits of it. Yes. Yeah. I know this is like a really quoted number, but I never really knew where it came from. So this is, I'll have to go read it as well. So if you have a $1 million share portfolio and you're withdrawing 4% a year, you can have a passive income of $40,000 a year. So how this safe withdrawal rate works is if you are assuming that you'll earn like 7% a year on your investments and inflation is around 3%, like your investments will keep growing with inflation and you'll just withdraw the the 4% that you've made, I guess. Yeah. So the idea is like you don't really run out of money. I know it sounds impossible, but when with compound interest, it, it kind of works. So definitely check out the Trinity study for more information. But when people refer to the 4% rule, that's what they're talking about. Yeah. I think it's like, especially with tax as well, like everyone's like, well, what do you do when you get to that amount? Do you just sell the million dollars? Um, and like, no, we're not going to sell a whole million dollar share portfolio at once because that would be such a sad time for tax. But if you've got dividends as well, which have franking credits attached or don't, or you get the capital gains discount as well when you are selling your portfolio, then the tax is a lot less than when you're actually earning it as like an employee. Exactly. So as we are talking about all of this and we can talk about FIRE at some point in the future, we just wanted to create some context. It is important to note that investing does involve risk and there's always a possibility of losing money. So it's really crucial that you do your own research. You talk to a financial advisor, you do whatever you can in order to ensure that you're making the right investment decisions for you. Ultimately, the best approach is to strike a balance between saving and investing that aligns with your financial goals and your risk tolerance. So what works for Tash and what works for me might not work for you. It is really important to ensure that you understand what you're getting into before investing. Yeah. Well, even like personally, what worked for me five years ago probably won't work for me now as well. Like everything changes. We're all adapting and evolving. Mm -hmm. So how do we actually balance saving and investing when we've got multiple goals? Like I'm assuming most people don't just have the house that they want to buy and that's it. They never want to go on holiday at all in between. Oh, that's a great question. Usually I would kind of uh, look at what money was coming in and how much free cash I had, right? Because you have your expenses. I would I would uh, have to pay for, you know, rent, this and that. And then that from that money that I had for investing or saving, I would kind of create a percentage split. So if I knew that holidays was coming up, that was a short-term goal, I really wanted to do that quicker, I might have a larger percentage of my money allocated towards that as opposed to something that's a long-term goal or not. The thing is, I'd be able to be flexible with that. So that's how I kind of thought about that. What are some of the things you thought about? Definitely the key for me was being flexible. Like having a goal is great, but like you can change your mind and adapt. So at the moment now I've got like my minimum amount that I invest no matter what. And then I have my other goals around that. 
But if my other goals change, then I can just invest more. I also have a decent savings buffer as well. So I like to have $20,000 just in cash as part of my emergency fund, but also just that buffer as well. So I can go on that holiday and do those things if I want to, which is awesome. But I feel like that gives me a lot more flexibility and freedom. Whereas in the past, I was like, this is my $100 is going to this and my $10 is going to this. And I'm going to have really, really, really structured goals. And I'm just going to do that. And I'm not going to be flexible about it. Yeah. I used to do that too. I used to have multiple bank accounts and each of my goals had a bank account allocated to it. And now I just found that mental load too much for me being like having 10 goals. And I do something similar where it's like, I have a large amount set aside for my saving goals or, you know, short term, more cash ones. And then same with investing. It's like, I'll try to have a set amount while I'm working. Cause right now I'm on parental leave. So not as much cash coming in, <laughs> but, but the same kind of goal. And a big part of it is I would automate it. I, I think you're also about automation, right? Oh yeah. I used to be really interested in this stuff. Like I still am obviously interested, but I first started learning. I loved tracking every dollar. I loved looking at bank accounts. I loved making it better and finding the best plan. But now like life is really busy and I have multiple jobs and I've got lots of things to do. So I've automated everything. Like I've got a nice central hub where everything goes in. My credit card payments are automated. My investing is automated. My mortgage is automated. And then it all just works nicely. And then every like week or month, I'll sit down and review and like actually see if I've got enough and what's been happening and like what's going on and making sure I'm not overspending. But other than that, it's automatic. Yeah, same. Like when I reflect to my early 20s, I think I really wanted to be on top of everything. So I wanted to manually transfer the money into the accounts to be like, I did it. And it felt like a successful thing. And now I'm just way too busy. I just do it for me. But to your point, you want to be on top of your finances before you do that, right? Because if you're automating things without paying attention to them, that's where you might lose track of something. But once you've got yeah, well, that, if auto, like you need to know your finance as well enough to know the amounts so that you can automate. Like I've spent years and years trying to get comfortable with this. And now I know what my automatic, automatic, my automated amounts can be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But before, if you don't know that, if you haven't tracked your spending, if you haven't really sat down and looked into it, you won't know what those amounts can be. Exactly. A few other quick tips and tricks or not tips and tricks or things to consider. Save your emergency fund first. That should be your first goal. Number one. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, also with the savings accounts, I used to really enjoy that where I actually labeled everything. I used to use up quite a bit and would have all my individual savings goals because if I can't see something, then it doesn't exist to me. So I quite liked being like, this is my snow trip fund. This is my holiday fund. I used to save for my rates individually as well. And my strata fees for my apartment. Oh, wow. Because that little like, yeah, so I have my strata fees, my council rates. Cause they all used to come in, they come in now, like around March, I think it is where it's like everything just comes all at once. So having those, there was quite good for me. Now I just have like two, I have like a savings and a checkings and make sure my checkings is a specific amount each month. Cause I know how much I usually spend. And then everything else is in my savings, including my emergency and, you know, saving for travel, et cetera, et cetera. But I know what that amount is. So mentally I'm, I'm just making sure that it goes up every month. Yeah. Well, I've got the same, like out of sight, out of mind mentality now, I guess. So my savings is like away in a separate account. And then I've got my main transaction one as well. And then I also have a separate business account because I'm trying to actually separate things and be more organized in that way too. But it's a lot more simple than it used to be. Yeah. Great. So it's worth noting that there's differences in rates of return when you're looking at savings accounts and your investments. And when we're looking at it in a purely mathematical way, if you're aiming to return 7% on your investments over the long term, but your savings account is only giving you 1% or 2%, that's a big difference. But it gets a little bit trickier, especially at the moment when we're recording this, when interest rates are a little bit higher. Like I know with savings accounts, you can get 4 to 5% return at the moment. And if you're maybe only going to get like 6 to 7% on your investments, the risk you have to take is maybe not worth it. But when you're in a lower interest rate environment, the risk is a lot less, I guess. 
it is hard kind of looking at this stuff and trying to time things <laughs> at the right time. But that's why, you know, we have to remember that this is an economic cycle. Things keep adjusting and changing and, um, it's just part of investing and saving. Yes. Should we hear from our community from our last episode? Absolutely. I love hearing from them. I found everything to do with investing confusing at first. Who to invest in, what platforms to use, how I can like actually make money from it, how long it all needs to stay in there for. And to be honest, I still find it just as confusing. I was initially overwhelmed by the number of options available to me in the investing space, but after carrying out some due diligence, I came to the conclusion that it would be best for my circumstances to invest in companies that I'm familiar with, are anti-fragile and have long-term tailwinds. Thank you so much to everyone who's shared. We love hearing from you guys every week. So if you'd like to be on next week's episode, you can either hop over to our Get Rich Slow Club stories or our personal stories as well. We'll share the link everywhere and you can let us know what your smart goals are and we'll share some of them next week. And before we sign off, we always have some actionable steps that are worth taking. So for this week, the first one is track your expenses for at least one week just to kind of know what's coming in and out. And it just kind of helps you set up yourself in terms of your goals. Yeah. And then the next step is actually go and write some of those goals. Like it might be tricky to start off with, but just try and get some of those goals down. Maybe set like one short term and one long term, but do that after you've tracked your expenses. And make sure they're smart goals. (laughs) Yes. Smart Measurable, achievable, realistic, and have a timeline. Woo. (laughs) Other ones are if you haven't opened up a high interest savings account yet or a brokerage account, it might be worth doing that now for your short and long-term goals. Yes. And then start setting up your automations if you're at that stage and ready to do that. So set up a mount, automate the money, and just let it do its thing in the background. Yes. And um, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. We had so much fun and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Woo. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us in this episode. If you found it helpful, feel free to leave us a rating or review or share with a friend. Make sure to follow us on social at Get Rich Slow Club, or you can follow Tash at Tash Invests or me at Anna Christina. This show was brought to you by Natasha Etchman, who is an authorized representative, 12-99881 of Guideway Financial Services, AFSL 420367, and Perla who is an authorised representative, 1281540 of Sanlam Private Wealth, AFSL 337927. Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to investing. So make sure you check out our financial services guides and read the product disclosure statement and target market determination for any investments you're considering. See our show notes for more info. 